Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals. Brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, Houston Business Journal Managing Editor Jonathan Adams invites Deloitte's Amy Cronus to share her journey in the accounting profession and an update on how clients are navigating these uncertain times. All right, so Amy, tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. I've spent 30 plus years in the professional services industry, the last 20 of which have been with Deloitte here in Houston and in Austin started my career in Houston, uh, went to Austin, was the managing partner there for 10 years and came back 10 years ago to Houston. I come from a large family. I'm the seventh of eight children on, on a farm in Ohio. I went to college at The Ohio State. After being raised in rural Ohio, I decided I wanted to explore the world. I double majored in international studies and accounting while also, uh, you know, it was a great experience for me to get to be on the varsity cross country and track teams there. And so you know, stop me if I'm going too far into this, but I, <laughs> you're great. You're good. <laughs> I guess ending up with how I ended up in Houston, I thought I would end up in our closest metropolis, Chicago, uh, but plans change. I heard that Texas had a booming economy and there was a shortage of CPA eligible grads. And I heard, you know, Houston really portrayed as a new frontier and a great opportunity to start my post-university career. It was it was really appealing that recruiters back then taught, and, and I think they still do this today, that spoke about Houston being a place where anyone willing to work hard could be successful. And so I knew that was a place for me. Uh, the energy industry was booming. And then, of course, subsequently busting before booming again. And those... You know, those undulating cycles afforded me really a great deal of opportunity experience at a really young age that I think would be hard to replicate. And, you know, now when we see no change, I have an idea of what to anticipate and, you know, have been able to lead teams with experience I've acquired during those many changing, you know, rhythms of industry over the years. So, you know, when I first came here, I thought I was only stay here for two years. But two years went by and I, I'd fallen in my I and my future husband had fallen in love with Texas. So we're glad we've stayed here. And my um, three grown children are very proud Texans with uh, deep accents. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So how did you get involved with Deloitte? Like, how did you get started there? So originally I was a partner at Anderson. Sent to Austin uh, in the dot-com era to reopen an office there and quickly grew from six people to over 80. When Anderson uh, went out of business in 2002, I took my entire practice to Deloitte after a lot of careful consideration. I thought Deloitte was the really the best place philosophically and opportunity-wise for my people. And, and it, that's proven to be correct. And I would just say within that career, I've had many different, you know, people uh, often ask me, especially in today's world where people move around so much, like, oh, how could you have stayed in professional services, you know, for over 30 years? And the truth is that within that, uh, between the industry cycles and and lots of different career chapters, I think I've had at least five or six very different, completely different roles and, you know, major opportunities within that to grow and build teams. Yeah, kind of piggybacking off of that idea, what challenges have you faced in navigating your career? So, well, you know, in that experience of, of adversity, of seeing a firm uh, lose trust and go out of business, I was really fortunate to have one great teams and great clients who believed in us. And, you know, it's interesting having to lead a team through adversity 
did really did strengthen me. And I was fortunate enough to have a client voice to me in the months following my decision that that experience, you know, made me a far more respected professional in their eyes. While that adversity, losing a whole career and firm, I wouldn't recommend that experience to others, but it really did make me stronger and led me to where I'm standing today. And it was an important leadership development experience. And I, I really do believe that adversity brings out our true character and, and gives you wisdom that ultimately builds trust with your teams and your clients. It's, you, you, you know, you can't make up that authentic sense of what, you know, of those experiences that shape you. So I think change is a constant in an industry, but adversity and change keep us agile and make us more relatable to our people. Those challenges, you know, and the challenges continue, right? It's navigating staffing and industry challenges in 2002, subsequent economic ups and downs, the recession in 2008, most recently the uncertainty the past two years. Those have all helped me learn to be adaptable. And the energy industry, of course, in particular, has helped me to hone the skill with the multiple energy cycles and challenging chapters. I would say it's really important to recognize that everybody has a different leadership style and it has to evolve to stay pace with your people's needs. And so, you know, I think in the past, I was always considered kind of a, you know, a lean in, roll up my sleeves type of role model leader. And, you know, in this chapter of my career, I'm trying um, to primarily be more of a catalyst leader to bring along others, develop and motivate our teams and grow them and help those teams to deliver the best of my firm to our clients and to the marketplace and really demonstrate resiliency to them, staying focused on getting their work done right and bringing the team along with me, I think has always held me in good stead. What trends are you seeing in the consulting industry at the moment? You know, we're seeing some of the upheavals of the last two plus years subsiding as pandemic related restrictions are being lifted. And, you know, even with the upsurge in COVID cases, the world does seem to, at least in, you know, the United States in particular, having some sort of new normal. And so the biggest challenges in the workplace I'm seeing have shifted from COVID related issues to talent centric ones. We at Deloitte do a quarterly survey of CEOs in, in conjunction with Fortune magazine. And our latest survey saw that three quarters of CEOs uh, rank labor and skill shortages as the biggest disruptor of business strategy over the next 12 months, even amongst the concerns around supply chain and, and disruptions and inflation. It really is the labor market. It's tight and it's created opportunities for workers to move to, to higher paying roles. And you know, we see leaders recognizing that money and compensation can come in various forms in addition to salary. So you're seeing a lot more around incentives and rewards like hybrid working stipends, commuting reimbursements, and well-being incentives uh, being used to help retain or attract good people. So to answer your question very succinctly, we're seeing that re-energizing existing workers is near the top of every leader's agenda. You know, that may mean rethinking and reworking existing talent models to support new career configurations and pathways. For instance, with the tight labor market, we're seeing organizations considering the need to expand their talent pool by casting a wider net and focusing less on traditional qualifications and, and paradigms about where they find and hire people and really rethinking what a successful resume or candidate looks like. I think we're going to see more, more adaptations around talent. Yeah. So I read a report that 70% of C-suite executives are also quitting uh, to improve their well-being. Is that something we're seeing in Texas? Oh, absolutely. I think Texas, and especially when you have a so many people are coming to Texas, jobs are moving here in a variety of industries, uh, lots more opportunities and options. And, I, and also, 
Uh, we haven't really mentioned the continuing uh, digitalization that's going on that's requiring more technical skills on the part of workers. So, you know, I think people are reconsidering what additional skills they need in, in, uh, in the changing world. Aside from that, what would you say is keeping you up at night? I'm not sure it's keeping up at night. I'm really excited by the energy transition in this industry. It's unfortunate that there's been all these geopolitical happenings and changes in the economy, but bringing back to focus that energy security is important as we navigate the energy transition, I think it is is helpful for everyone to remember this is going to be a much harder and more expensive and complex journey to a lower carbon future than I think many in the world appreciated. And I think the energy industry in Houston in particular has incredible opportunity here. You know, is the outgoing chair of the, or I should say the immediate past chair of the Great Asian Partnership. I got to spend a lot of time learning and thinking about what makes Houston a unique city to live and work in. And I'm really excited to see the continued evolution of the business community here. And again, not just with energy, but across lots of industries, you know, the excitement around, you know, our amazing growth at the Texas Medical Center with innovation, Um, all the green tech startups, the innovation, you know, there's just, there seems to be a real, you know, you asked me what keeps me up at night, but I'm actually just excited around the, what I think of as a technology renaissance here in Houston and in my, you know, my specific industry to boot. I just worry about us not moving fast enough. I guess that's if you, if anything is, I could say, keep me up at night. It makes me worry that we're not moving fast enough to take advantage of the great opportunity uh, that we have. That we just have such rich um, cultural diversity, talent, and geological assets here that uh, I'd hate to see us not move fast enough. How would you say we could jump on that opportunity? I think there's a lot of exciting ideas. For instance, with hydrogen hubs and CCUS and such, that it's going to take a lot of, I think, public-private partnerships and regulatory assistance to help really make these major projects um, see, you know, uh, faster traction. So I, I think we're all going to have to work together in a very collaborative fashion. And a lot of good things have already started around the energy transition in Houston, around the collaboration of companies. But I, again, I just think I'm an impatient person that I like, <laughs> I'd like to see it move faster. This is a dynamic city that's going to continue to thrive, being centrally located, accessible from the coast. The diversity of industry and people here continues to grow. But this ability to fast become a hub for energy 2.0 companies and startups and us lead the conversation around the global energy transition, we still have work to do. We still have great progress to make. Amy Cronus joining us. In our next segment, she shares the impact of the Ukraine war on energy companies. When Texas Business Minds continues. How did Texas Mutual Insurance Company make over 67,000 business owners smile? by sending $330 million in dividends to our workers' comp policyholders. See how we can make your business safer, stronger, and better at texasmutual.com slash better. I would be kind of remiss if I didn't ask you about Ukraine, but how has that kind of impacted your work with energy companies? It's added complexity around, you know, needing to comply with the sanctions So there's all kinds of, in order to be legally compliant and there's tax implications. So it's not easy to disengage from doing business with a huge country like Russia. 
And so it's more complex than I think people initially understood to comply with the sanctions. And energy security is important and has to be balanced with, you know, the real need to move faster along the energy transition. I think that the Russia-Ukraine situation brought to light some of the things that had happened in the past around, you know, for instance, Germany closing the coal plants, uh, nuclear facilities being shuttered. Some of those decisions are being rethought. Um, you know, like natural gas terminals being commissioned as fast as possible for Germany. It's changing the landscape, frankly. So going back to uh, finding talent, what are you doing to attract workers? So, you know, we're really pleased that our recruiting, you know, we've, I, I would say from a hiring standpoint, we, you know, we're hiring across the nation and the world in a, you know, really assertive manner. And we're pleased that we're back to pre-pandemic levels and growing. So, for instance, in Houston alone, we've grown from, you know, we, we declined to 24, around 2,400 folks. And we've not only have we recovered from that back past to 2,700, now we're at 3,100 going fast to 3,200. So, we're bringing on a great deal of young uh, and experienced talent. Um, but that also requires, you know, real focus on training and onboarding and skills development in a much bigger way than, you know, than we've had at moments previously. So we're very focused on talent and skills building. What are you doing to keep that talent? I think that seems to be kind of an issue a lot of companies are facing at the moment. Sure. I mean, we've really put into practice a lot of uh, what we like to think, you know, uh, used to be best practices, but now should really be normal in terms of, I think I mentioned previously that the, there's, in addition to making sure, you know, salaries at, are at market and rewarding people appropriately with bonuses and such, we're very proud of the additional benefits we've put into place. Things like adding uh, collective disconnects where we have long weekends where the whole firm tries to shut down and really let people disconnect. We've added really, I think, really important and substantive wellness subsidies, both for physical and mental well-being. Uh, we've increased time away. We've made, I would say, hybrid work, um, you know, common sense type co-location around working. We've made that a norm now for our people. And, and what I mean by intentional co-location is that, you know, we encourage people to work virtually when it works for them, but the understanding that, that, that they will, you know, we'll go where we need to be to serve clients, whether it's at client locations, our project sites, or in our offices, and that our people will be able to attend live training and, you know, cultural interactions, work together for community service purposes, and also have, you know, just really cultural community gatherings. I'm proud that here in the Houston office, we have a lot of opportunities with our different inclusion groups and well-being groups and just really just hosting opportunities for our people to get together in a fun way in addition to working hard. So making combining that with the, the ability to work virtually uh, when they can seems to be well-received by our people. So hybrid work, like you've mentioned a couple of times, has been kind of a buzzword of cross companies. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I, you know, I think in our, in, as a professional services firm, we actually have been doing hybrid work for a long time. We serve clients and our people travel. And when they don't travel and don't have to be in the office, even in the past, a lot of our professionals were able to adjust their lives accordingly, whether it was being in the office or not. Um, many of our people who were, you know, in the office all the time now have more of that opportunity as well. 
to have hybrid with the understanding as I just went through that we think it's important to still have moments of co-location. We, you know, in order to have, we we are a professional services firm where it's an apprenticeship and stewardship model. And that's really important to have those opportunities to be mentored, to be coached, to observe people solving problems and working together collaboratively. So we think it's important to have a mix of that. And uh, what advice do you have for people entering the tax and consulting sector? Obviously, we're biased, but we think Deloitte is an outstanding (laughs) place to launch their career. That My advice I give to them is that clearly your philosophical mix or match with people is, is, we tell our recruits, the most important factor, that you need to feel comfortable and affinity with with the environment that you're going to be working in and that you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to get outstanding world-class training and development opportunities. And um, that's, part, I think, you know, part of our secret sauce is that we really are, you know, again, I'm biased, but I really do believe we are world class in terms of how much we as a partners invest back into our firm and our people. It is very significant what we plow back into skills development, ongoing training, constant evolution of our service offerings to reflect the growing innovation and technology in the world. Just as an example, the competency of the tools we use today with the ever-increasing algorithms and analytics we're able to bring to bear for our clients and for solving problems and doing what we do, uh, whether it's audit compliance or tax compliance or advisory assistance, is just amazing. I would love to be able to start over again because it'd be, I think, a lot more immediately affirming and rewarding to get to use these advanced tools versus, you know, kind of the rudimentary. Now it seems very rudimentary the things we did decades ago. So I think it's, it couldn't be a more exciting time because the, the technology innovation that we're bringing to bear, we make significant investments in innovation to make sure our people are getting, you know, the latest and best training and, and um, that we can take those resources to our clients. What's one thing business leaders need to be aware of as we kind of come off the COVID pandemic and maybe potentially face a recession? Sure. You know, I think I said this when we recently met at the HBJ offices to talk about the profession, but I think mm-hmm. it still bears true that, you know, we, we keep telling our clients, focus on in particular on two things, harnessing the power of your people and upgrading and constantly improving your technology. You will fall behind if you don't focus on both of those things. And what's one thing that you think maybe I should have asked that I hadn't asked already? I think maybe I spoke about this, but in terms of leadership, I think it's really important to be relatable and trustworthy. And you gain that by um, being open and available. Again, I think I mentioned that I evolved from kind of a servant leader to be more of a catalyst leaders. But I also think that uh, the pandemic also helped evolve my leadership style in terms of being more empathetic, being a better listener and more patient while still being action and results oriented. And I, I think fellow leaders should think carefully around effectively articulating a vision and clear point of view in order to build that trust and providing forward-looking perspectives and keeping people motivated by working toward a shared goal. Thanks to Deloitte's Amy Cronus for joining us. And thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals. 
and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas.